It's country. Let's ride. You're listening to Holding the High Line with Rabbi and Red. We're sponsored by Icarus FC and Roughneck Scarves. It is Monday, September 12th, 2022, and my name is Matt Pollard. Rapids 2 midfielder Robinson Aguirre is off to the El Salvadorian national team. LAFC are doing a leads potentially, and somehow the Colorado Rapids have kept their playoff hopes mathematically alive heading into California week. I'm joined now by a man who could not care less about the Broncos playing on Monday Night Football, Rabbi Mark Goodman. Couldn't care about that, and I couldn't care about apparently the uh, Steelers losing with a biffed uh, field goal at the very end against the Bengals. But I only know that because it comes across my social media feed because I'm really not into the throw ball, but I am into other manners of soccer uh, all over the globe. And yet the queen in her death deprived me of the opportunity to watch Premier League football this last week. Matt, uh, what can you tell me about why the nation of Great Britain is trying to ruin my life or at least my weekends? Yes, yeah, so technically, folks, the, the actual like football and governing body is under some sports authority, which then has connections, obviously, to the British government. There's been past traditions that they've had with certain periods of mourning that have happened when the monarch has died. Obviously, this has not happened since, what, I think the 1950s? I'm not sure. Uh, I, don't, I don't know when the Queen's dad ended up dying, Mark. What decade? 1953. He passed away, and she returned from Malta in order to... Uh, to take care of his ailing self before assuming the crown herself. Yes. So, um, so you know, it's obviously been a while in which that has happened, and this tradition goes back a much, much longer period in which it would have taken much longer for news to travel. Mark, I am currently listening to a podcast series about the War of the Roses, which is super fascinating and has so many similarities and has so many similarities to Game of Thrones. And so King Edward, I can't remember if it's the fifth of the six dies, and then his son, who is also Edward, is staying in a Welsh castle being trained, and he's like 12 years old and the messenger who is sent is riding night and day on a horse and it takes him five days to get from london where the king had died to inside the welsh border in order to deliver the message to the uh, protectorate of the king to be to deliver the message and everything and obviously within the queen dying and then obviously it getting leaked and then it getting i think it was leaked um but ultimately once it was immediately announced anybody with a smartphone knew about this within an hour unless they weren't checking their phone or in a meeting or something. So um, England has their traditions mark. It's something that they very much care about. And regardless of what you think about the British monarchy, there are many ways in which the Queen was popular or seen in a different light to the monarchy as a whole. And now, obviously, that's been decoupled to an extent. Uh, mark, I have to respect it. You know, I, I asked Jack Price about it, you know, post game. We'll get into it a bit, his performance and everything. And he said, you know, I would have liked to have seen football get played out of respect for, like, this is a part of our life and we're going to, using the specter of football and then having a moment of silence 
silence or some kind of tribute to her before the game maybe would have been as significant as choosing to not have the games whatsoever. Obviously, Mark, this is outside the scope of, you know, out of our country. You know, neither of us is, uh, you know, a member of the British Empire or a or an English citizen in any way. So I have to I have to respect it. Um, I, I don't know if uh, a president or a former president um, were to die, that that should affect an MLS fixture date so soon. I, you know, I guess I understand she died on what, Friday, late afternoon, maybe early evening. And then obviously, you know, the games would have been within 24 hours of that if we're talking about the Saturday 3 p.m. kickoff. But Mark, you know, if, if God forbid, you know, some other horrible thing happened, you know, if January 6th, if another one of those, Mark, happened today, I don't know that MLS should be playing this weekend. So I understand that it's their customs and I absolutely respect it. Um, And I also understand as a, you know, my dad is Old English Irish folks, so obviously uh, their relatives and everything and my ancestors on that side of the family have a very particular view of the British monarchy in general. You know, my dad's family, tra- um, you know, tra- traces back to the uh, the People's Republic of Cork County, if you will. Um and then my mom is the son of, you know, is the daughter of a, you know, American immigrant who comes from a country that was impersonated by um, the Axis powers during World War II. And they were under occupation for four or five years. And in many ways, that side of my family sees the Queen as the last kind of connection to the British Empire that ultimately was liberating um, underrepresented people around the world from the rule of the Nazis, the rule of the Italians, the rule of the Japanese and everything. So I can understand people that have that view. And at the same time, Mark, I've got a bunch of uh, former lab mates from grad school who are Indian, you know, that are not celebrating or jeering her death or anything, but basically saying that you were a part of the entity that for centuries came in and wealth extracted and brought disease and ultimately oversaw and mismanaged my ancestors. And now you're gone and increased Increasingly, the monarch is irrelevant and the British colonies and the empire is irrelevant. And in many ways, my country has surpassed Great Britain in many ways, shapes or form. I could care less about that. But, you know, I, I have to say, if nothing else, Mark, a member of a family who was stoic who was a rock and a reliable bed of consistency, who oversaw a dysfunctional son in his romantic relationships, who tried to at least control the PR aspects or at the very least not make an absolute disaster and embarrassment of multiple pedophiles within her family and everything. She's dead, and I feel bad that her family now has to go on without her and try to figure things out with King Charles and William, who I think is going to be the next main you know patriarch of their family, and obviously a lot of complexities within them given um, you know what's happened within that family and everything but mark i've been rambling along and saying a lot of things that are very political and i think polite and well-rounded anything you'd like to add yeah i i my only take is uh i actually disagree with you it's a rare opportunity to disagree with you matt not a strong disagreement but um i think that the english premier league should have played and the reason is i think that the english premier league is so very british and so very international that it would have been a great opportunity for Um, all of the teams around the country of Britain, around the United Kingdom to, well, specifically England and Wales, to to have a game, to have a moment of silence, to give their own individual uh, club tributes to Her Majesty, and then for everyone to wear black armbands. Because for me, like when I watch the um, Memorial Day games that the English Premier League plays, and they wear that um, poppy emblem on Remembrance their kits. Day, Mark. Remembrance Day, thank you. Um, when they wear the poppy on their on their kits, 
You know, it's the only time when I think about uh, War Dead, other than our own War Dead here in the United States or War Dead in, in Israel. Um, the timing is different. The symbolism is different. It's it's kind of based off of World War One, which I, and I find it really um, moving and interesting and a great tribute. And I think you miss that by not having the league do some sort of tribute. Now, they will certainly do a tribute this coming week. Um, but at this point, it starts to feel like uh, a little bit too late uh, to some degree. So that's my only take. I have, by the way, no strong takes about monarchism or anti-monarchism in England, colonialism, anti-colonialism. Uh, if, if you are a Twitter uh, or news freak, you'll know that um, a professor here at Carnegie Mellon got into big, big trouble for uh, spouting off and, and wishing ill upon the queen and suffering in her final moments of life specifically um, because of the empire and the colonialism of England. I think that was incredibly in poor taste, um, but I, I don't necessarily understand the whole concept of the monarchy and its um, potential opportunity for good or ill in our society, its symbolism. All I can see is people with a lot of money who aren't spending it on the hungry and the homeless. And that's my only take on, on the Royal crown, like all the good they could do with all the wealth they have, um, which was realized for a hot minute when princess died, did really nice things for AIDS patients. But again, to your point, Matt, I digress moving on to the foot to some football. Yeah, I think it's an important historical moment to point out, Mark. I think uh, Queen Elizabeth ultimately was alive for like one third of America's existence, which is kind of crazy. Um, she was the longest tenured monarch in the history of England, and she was the oh, and she was the last um, she was the last surviving head of state who served during World War II. So, like, she was a, she was a one to one, you know, one degree of Kevin Bacon connection to Winston Churchill. And now, obviously, we've lost that. And another fun fact, Mark, she's been alive for every single World. World Cup that has ever existed. That's so, interesting. And the odds of that happening, certainly in our lifetime, Mark, is obviously zero because I don't think Charles is making it 75 years. And then by the time William... You know who else has been alive for every World Cup, Matt? My grandmother was born in 1927. Did she go to the World Cup? No, because she was fleeing the Germans during World War II. <laughs> okay, yes. Um, the, afford, the aforementioned Germans who were being fled out by the British Expeditionary Forces using supply trucks that were mechanicked by one Queen Elizabeth during the day. In any case, um, Mark, turning <laughs> you, this back to Major You League love Club. the Queen. That's well, The most important thing we've learned from this podcast is Matt loves the I, Queen. I love history, Mark. I love the remarkableness of this and everything. You know, as someone who's not been alive for a great war. You love war, the history of the Queen. I appreciate it. As someone who has not been alive for any great conflict, like the past generations of men in my family and everything, like the fact that I will one day be able to tell my children and grandchildren what it was like being alive during 9-11, what happened in 2020 and everything, and then having some connection to that in World War II via my family's connection to the British Empire and at least having interest in the Queen, not necessarily positive or negative, purely from an academic sense, I take remark in. And this is a moment to reflect on that amongst many other things, including but not limited to, Mark, the fact that the supporter shield race has been turned completely 
completely on its head. A couple weeks ago, we were talking about LAFC having games in hand, having such and such point lead on Austin and on Philadelphia and everything. Gareth Bale and Chiellini were rounding into form and everything and tra- starting to get 90 minutes fit. And Mark, that's turned around because LAFC are doing a leads. Uh, the Houston Dynamo are somehow their absolute kryptonite. They found a way to lose despite playing very well down a man on the weekend to FC Dallas and now Philadelphia Union are in the lead with 63 points on 31 games played. LAFC does have a game in hand so they could potentially tie that as well but then after that mark you're looking at uh, Montreal who have 53 points on 30 games played. Um, They can only get to 65 points. I don't think they're catching Philly and then Austin also on 51. It's now mathematically impossible for them to catch Philadelphia. This is between Philadelphia Union and LAFC and purely from a mathematical less than 1% probability standpoint CF Montreal. Um, Mark, Philadelphia for me are the best team right now in Major League Soccer. They have been the best team in Major League Soccer. They are scoring goals in bunches, as we saw a couple weeks ago. They are offense by committee, but absolutely have star power. Um, Kai Wagner might be having the best single season an outside back or a defender in Major League Soccer history has been having. Number eight, Gazdok somehow is a number 10 and is bagging and hat tricks and everything. And they still have only conceded 22 goals against, which is insane. Mark? Who wins the Supporters' Shield? What are we witnessing from Philadelphia? And is this secretly LAFC's plans to bottle the Supporters' Shield just to peak in time to finally win that coveted MLS Cup? Nice. Uh, I think you said it, uh, it. It's Philly's Cup to lose. It's Philly's Shield to lose, really, which I think is a great accomplishment for Philadelphia. I think it's easy for us to, to forget that, like, four seasons ago... Um, Philly fans and like Philadelphia were kind of just wondering if this club was hopelessly cursed to be second rate. You know, they they had some like wandering in the desert time, just like Toronto did. Toronto kind of like started as a club, spent a lot of money and spent it really poorly. And Philly also struggled for a while, not really doing uh, what they wanted to do. Um, Philadelphia are winners of five straight. Matt, who's the last team in Major League Soccer to defeat the Philadelphia Union without looking? If you can last remember. team, I or I, you can just guess. I'm not currently looking, Mark. I'm checking my notifications and seeing a very cynical <laughs> that you posted with a not cynical out with of a love, poll out of that listeners you should totally go check now. Having listened to what I just said about Her Majesty, um, who is the last team to beat the Philadelphia Union? Is it New York Red Bulls? It is not. I'll give you a hint. They're also the last team to beat LAFC just yesterday. Is it FC? Okay, so it's FC Dallas. That's right. Isn't okay. that interesting that Dallas are the giant slayers? They've defeated both LAFC and Philadelphia. I think that's notable going into the playoffs and thinking about the possibility of um, Dallas maybe, you know, kind of coming up and playing spoilers um, and causing problems for other people. But no, they, they're, Philly has a three-point lead right now. Um they uh, LAFC are on uh, have a game in hand, though, to Philly. So that's pretty interesting. Um, but I do think that it's Philadelphia's to lose. I also think if you look at LAFC's um, last couple games, they've they've not been very um, strong right now. LAFC, uh, uh, Philadelphia Union, five wins uh, straight, um, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and L.A. Um, yeah, five wins in a row, not five, you know, games unbeaten, but five wins in a row, whereas LAFC are, um, one win, four losses in their last couple. They had a really nice, uh, 
what is it, seven-game hot streak before that. So what they need to do is get hot for the finish. The final games of the season for uh, Philadelphia are at Atlanta, who've been really struggling, although I think they uh, won this last week. Um, at Charlotte, who've been up and down all year, really hard to pick out. Sometimes they, they're fantastic and sometimes not. And Toronto, who've started to figure it out late in the season now that they've added um, Insigne and a few other players, but mostly are just kind of playing for pride. Meanwhile, LAFC are at Minnesota, who are falling apart completely right now. Uh, Minnesota are in fifth place, I think, or were in fifth place to start the weekend in the Supporters' Shield race. Um, and in uh, sorry, in the Western Conference race, and are looking like the most like, in my humble opinion, the most likely team to fall out of the playoff uh, race. Then they play Houston, who aren't very good, um, but can be surprising at times. Portland, who aren't very good, but are fighting for a playoff spot. And Nashville, who are very good, but are basically Hane Mukhtar FC. It's like one Superman and 10 mere mortals trying to be dragged around the pitch. So if you're looking at who's got a better final couple games, it's LAFC. But if you're looking at who has the hot hand, it's Philly. Any other thoughts about the Shield race, Matt? No, I think it's Phillies to lose at this point. I think they will ultimately end up winning it. Um, and I think barring some significant change in Phillies' run of form, I think LAFC definitely is focusing more on let's set ourselves up such that we're in a good position to win MLS Cup rather than going all out for you know, uh, for the supporters shield. And then somehow, you know, Chiellini picks up another yellow card and is suspended for the first round of the playoffs or something happens to Carlos Vela or uh, Gareth Bale from a injury standpoint. But let's move on. Mark, uh, this past Saturday at Dick Sporting Goods Park, the Colorado Rapids got a win over the Vancouver Whitecaps. Uh, the Rapids come out, Mark, and they have a very, very good start in the opening 10 minutes, but still find a way to concede the first goal of the game. Nine minutes in, it is Brian White on a long ball out of the back. Lawless Bubakar tries to get on to the ball just at the top of the box after White takes a touch towards goal over everybody's head. Bubakar falls on his butt on a very wet and... Uh, disjointed pitch mark due to the various concerts that have happened with Imagine Dragon and then the Fish concert over Labor Day weekend. DSG pitch mark looking worse than I have ever seen it visually. Um, And then obviously the little bit of rain that we got on the afternoon did not certainly help that. Brian Wright runs, runs onto the ball after Lalsa Bubakar falls on his badunkadunk and then puts the ball into the back end of the net. 20 minutes and 12 minutes into the first half, Danny Wilson with two really good looks on headers on set pieces, not able to put anything on. Rapids are probing Mark, getting the ball into good areas, just haven't found the final product, and then ultimately get that in the 21st minute. Danny Wilson with a long ball out to Jonathan Lewis, who cuts in one of many times in this game, finds Felipe Gutierrez making a late run, who just taps it to Giassi Zardes to get it around a defender into an open good luck at goal with a clear line of sight. Zardes shoots first time, far side netting 1-1. Jonathan Lewis wins a PK in the 31st minute. A little bit of controversy there, Mark. We'll talk about that in a minute on Veselinovic rounding him and then getting fouled, we believe, right around the top of the box or the side of the box. Uh, And then officially in the 33rd minute, Diego Rubio goes top left-hand corner emphatically into the Danny Rojas corner to make it 2-1. 
Brian White has the best chance or one of the two really good chances that Vancouver had in the second half. He has a header right on the hour mark that goes straight to William Yarbrough at the near post. Vite hits the cross bar on two back-to-back chances in the 62nd, but then the insurance goal comes in the 75th minute. Substitute Jack Price making his first appearance since the win over Minnesota United. Switches the field to Jonathan Lewis, who's playing on a soft wing. Cuts inside and then goes upper 90 to make it 3-1 pits at the full time. Mark, what was your good thing from this past Saturday's win, albeit maybe a ultimately three points too late for the Burgundy boys. I really liked the style of play. Um, I thought that this very, and I think, by the way, it takes two to tango in this situation. You need two teams who are willing to kind of open things up and play very end-to-end, big-time transition games uh, in order for that to happen. But, you know, the first 25 minutes, this game was absolutely end-to-end. Neither team was really pressing uh, at the back, and neither team was really bunkering either. They wanted to kind of, like, turn it over quickly and get forward. So both teams were kind of thinking about transition as soon as they could get the ball. And that meant that there was a lot of action on either end, especially in the first half. Um, And I found that that style was really good. Uh, I don't know if that is transferable to other games in the sense that like what the Rapids did in this game worked in this game, but I don't know that against a better team that would work. Like, I don't think they could have played the way they played tonight, tonight, uh, Saturday night against Philadelphia or um, a few other teams had gotten the result that they did. Um, I don't think they played that way on the road when they got the win against New York Red Bull. Um, against Red Bull, they they kind of countered, bunkered and countered pretty well um, and buttoned up very well and defended very well when they needed to. Um, you know, so it's, it's interesting to see a team that we like to oversimplify in soccer and say like, oh, this is who the Rapids are. This is their style. This is the way they play. And to, to note that they have other styles. And in this instance, they played a different style and it worked for them. That was my good thing, Matt. What, what about you? I want to highlight the attacking players. You know, I thought Giassi's artist was very active. He was active in the press. He was active in build-up play. He had several really good opportunities. He could have had a brace. Um, Cody Cropper with a really nice save at some point in the second half, if I remember. But, you know, he scores a goal. Jonathan Lewis draws a penalty, scores a goal himself, and then Diego Rubio, obviously the engine in the middle from an attacking standpoint, and he converts the penalty, which was really well taken. Um, And then even Sam Nicholson, Mark, you know, who you and I have been critical of in the past as well, I thought was energetic on the ball. I I thought did a lot of dirty work in terms of where they had possession, but not in a good area just to not lose it, where previously players had... Um, where maybe previously would have lost the ball or dribbled it into himself into a corner and then ultimately given it up and everything. He didn't end up on the score sheet, but I thought just from a run of play on the ball, he didn't look like a distinct weakness or a place where possession and attacking aspiration went to die. So, um, you know, look, the, the team went out and the three players that um, we've been, that we've highlighted from an attacking standpoint, Rubio consistent, Jossie's artist, number nine needs to score goals, Jonathan Lewis, inconsistent finisher, all went out and scored in a 3-1 victory. Well done. Next thing that I want to highlight is that I think this is the first game that we've really seen in the recent stretch where the Rapids have conceded first and particularly have conceded early and not only that, conceded in the first 10 minutes in a game in which they were playing absolutely well. Like the Rapids did not play well enough to start 
the game against Philadelphia, they deserved to give up that first goal. But, you know, the Rapids were the protagonists. They were on the front foot in the first 10 minutes. And then kind of the first one opportunity, you know, that Vancouver had on the game they ended up scoring on. And Vancouver finished with an XG of 0.9, um, which was not a whole lot. <clears throat> and so... Uh, I think the fact that the conceding the goal didn't phase the team and they continued to do what they, they – they stuck to the game plan and they had confidence in the game plan and their ability to execute it. And quickly it turned the tide from a scoreline standpoint and deservedly they ended up winning the game. Last thing that I want to point out, Mark, uh, Jack Price comes in and gets subbed in in the 68th minute, I believe. First time that we had seen him for Minnesota and obviously just his second appearance since that June 19th game, I think it was, where he had that calf injury. Asked him after the game, Mark, about, you know, how he feels and everything. He said he feels all good. Obviously, it's been a while since he's been, you know, training, you know, all out during the week. It's been a while since he's played 90 minutes, so he's not 90 minutes fit right now per se but you know he said he's all good nothing's wrong with the calf and Mark he finally he alluded to and described his chest injury I used the word chest injury and he said cracked rib or punctured lung whatever it was so um, you know Mark if, if that's indeed if he had either of those things or both of those things I think it's understandable that he was out what a month and a change um, and the fact that obviously he's back and everything I think is a testament to what the medical staff did to deal with that any other medical professionals that were involved and certainly his professionalism to work through pain and then obviously get back to being in a position and I think we've also seen Robin Frazier be very pragmatic with him in terms of not bringing him back and giving him more that he could handle and making sure that this is the last time that he's back his last injury was a freak injury there's been no issues with the calf since he came back against Minnesota and hopefully now Jack Price is able to play 35 minutes or maybe a second half against San Jose, maybe play also against LA Galaxy. And then maybe the, by the time we get to the international break, he's back to being 90 minutes fit and they can have him for uh, Dallas and Austin to the extent that those games are still relevant for the Rapids playing in the playoffs. Mark, bad things. Well, clearly the Lalas Abubakar uh, mistake at the beginning. Um, he, I, I think, you know, I think the thing that I struggle with with Lalas is I like him as a player, I think he is his upside is so 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 big. I mean, his goal scoring as a center back has been nuts this year. He just rises up on set pieces and he ghosts uh, in a, in the attack to the far post a lot. Um, and he still winds up like not really putting the team in a bad spot if the ball's turned over. So he's been really exceptional in that respect. Um, so I'm a, I'm a big fan. And then, you know, he's, uh, he, he makes mistakes typically at the beginning of the season. Um, there's always a few little errors here and there, judgment errors, um, going in, uh, without really fully thinking out the tackle and maybe, um, making a, a rash challenge that'll result in a, in a PK or a yellow. Those are things that we see from Lawless. Um, it's not a, a uh, a youth thing anymore. It's not that he's youthfully exuberant or overly excitable or lacks experience at this point. Like this is just who the guy is. Um, big upside, occasional brain farts. And so I, I'm always bummed when I see him do a brain fart because I always think that he's maybe progressed past it. And I think the difference between Lalas Abubakar being literally, uh, an MLS all-star center back and, um, a, what we have with the Rapids, which is a, a, an above average player, is those little moments. Like you, if you, the difference between like the little mistakes where you fall down and you can you wind up conceding a goal and you don't do that, or the difference between Lalas Abubakar and Aikopara, 
who's not playing right now anymore after a series of unfortunate injuries. But Aikopara in his best days was Lalas Abubakar on his best day. Fast, great closing speed in open field, large, can clear a ball, great instincts, good timing, right? Like really everything. And the only difference between uh, Ike Opara and Lalas Abubakar is just no mistakes. Ike could go a season, an entire season without really making a single error. So that's that's my bad thing. Matt, what's yours? Ultimately, Mark, this was a win against a weakened team. You know, we had covered it previously that Vancouver was not on a good run of form. Their last win was against the Colorado Rapids, and they had missing players. They were missing Ryan Gauld, who was suspended, who scored the two goals in Vancouver's win a couple weeks ago at BC Place against the Colorado Rapids, and they were also missing Lucas Cavallini. Mark, if I told you which one of two attacking players for the Vancouver Whitecaps would you not want to have to deal with, you would pick one of those two. I personally would go Ryan Gauld. You can make an argument for... Havelini. And so if I'm looking at Mark, the Rapids form table right now, prior to this game, their last two wins were that gay the 4-3 win against Minnesota. Ironically, Jack Price's last appearance for the Rapids prior to this game, in which Emmanuel Reynoso was unavailable. And then I think it was Robin Ludd, and then also um they had a center back who was unavailable in that one. So you had a shorthand in Minnesota United team. Then their win before that was against New York Red Bulls, who were coming off. I think it was it was their fourth game in 12 days, and they had played uh friendly against Barcelona. Barcelona on the weekend before, which is why they were playing that game on a Tuesday, and then they were super injured. And so last time, Mark, that I have to go back and look at quality wins for the Rapids against an opponent that I thought was in a good run of form was July 17th against the LA Galaxy. And I think if you ask LA Galaxy Twitter, of which I'm a member, Mark, the Galaxy did not play well in that game at all. So when's the last time we can find a Rapids win against a good team that was playing well and had a good performance against the Rapids? May 23rd against Seattle Sounders and everything. So uh, credit to the Rapids for beating the team that was in front of them. Credit to the game plan and their execution on this, Mark. But to your point of, you know, how they they played wouldn't necessarily be successful in other scenarios or against other certain teams. Um, I think the Rapids could play that way and certainly beat the San Jose Earthquakes, Mark, who we'll talk about in a little bit, who lost 6-0 to FC Cincinnati on the weekend. I don't know that they can go to LA Galaxy and beat the LA Galaxy that way, and I don't know in their current run of form that they can play the way that they did against a weakened Vancouver team in an advantageous position and expect to pick up points at LA Galaxy. Uh, season finale or the uh, the final home game of the season against SC Dallas or certainly decision day against Austin FC if Austin has anything to play for. And for those reasons, that still gives me concern that the last three wins for the Rapids at New York Red Bulls, at Minnesota or home against Minnesota and this past Saturday are are noise instead of signal in terms of this team's form going into the final couple games of the season as this team still is aspiring to make the seventh seed and qualify for the playoffs. Um, But if nothing else, Mark, you know, I still think that this was in in terms of even if this isn't for anything in terms of the postseason, it's nice to see the the Rapids kind of have two back-to-back performances in which one was an improvement on the previous game and the other one was an improvement upon that. And so I think Robin Frazier was right in saying from a mentality standpoint, from a resilience and an intensity standpoint, this was a better performance than DC United. They did very a very good job from that standpoint defensively against DC. They did very good defensively and in the attack against 
Vancouver on Saturday. And in that, this was an improvement on DC. And in theory, Mark, incremental improvement and maybe doing that while playing the kids once you're eliminated from the playoffs maybe makes Rapids Twitter a little bit more optimistic or at the very least less doom and gloomy going into what could be a very long and frustrating offseason. So if nothing else, Mark, this could be the start of a feel-good run of form after the Rapids are mathematically eliminated from the playoffs to maybe have some form of momentum going into next season. Uh, Rabbi, any big things or shall we move on? Oh, I have a big thing. I think the big thing in this game is um, that the lineup that the head coach started, which included Acosta and Gutierrez and um, Rubio as the midfield three, which is a veteran lineup and more experienced and kind of like more trustworthy. It really projects to me that the gaffer is looking to make the playoffs, right? And has not punted on the season, despite the fact that there's almost no chance of making the playoffs. Um, 538 has the Rapids at below 1% chance of making the playoffs, even uh, before this win. And after the win, I actually don't think the stats went up. I haven't looked yet, but, um, but I don't love that in the sense that like fans want hashtag player kids. Now there aren't a lot of kids to play, which is something we covered a couple weeks ago on the podcast, but like Ralph Prizzo didn't get the start. We're going to talk about that as an ask HTHL. Um, Max didn't get the start. Um, Abe Rodriguez didn't get off the bench or the start. Um, there are a couple other options for the Rapids, Darren Yapi, Yaya Torre, although I think Torre is still hurt. Um, out for the season. Um, Matt's signaling to me. But anyways, there's there are options of, of ways we could spice things up, and the, the, the manager is not spicing them up. So um, I think that's a big thing. Um, did I expect any different? Not really. Um, I don't I don't really think as a manager you can say uh, there with one percent chance uh, of making the playoffs, we're gonna we're gonna actively play the kids and and not try and make the playoffs. But I think you could make an argument that starting Ralph Prizzo might give you your best opportunity also to make the playoffs. So that's my big thing, which is that the um, lineup choices that the manager's making are still projecting confidence that this team is still in a playoff chasing uh, mode. Uh, Mark, so let's move on. We have an Ask HTHL from Rapids Foreign Legion on Twitter at CR Foreign Legion uh, asks hashtag Ask HTHL. Why is Ralph Prizzo not getting any meaningful playing time for the Rapids? And Mark, I should point out uh, in that tweet, he also has a photo of Ralph on the ball dribbling forward and Ralph's look on his face clearly shows uh, I've got that dog in me energy, I should point out. So a uh, quick stat line for you here, folks, since the trade. Ralph Prizzo um, was in with the team. He's been uh, with the team now. Uh, they've played 12 first-team games since the trade. I should point out one of those trains happened on a Friday. So in terms of games in which he had been training with the team and maybe was eligible for selection, I'll say 11 games, he's played in five of those. He started three of those, and he's played 189 minutes. During the stretch, however, folks, he has also played two 90-minute games with Rapids 2. Um, you know, Mark, we've seen some good spurts for Ralph Prizzo. When he has gotten in, he usually, when he's coming off the bench, he's been a positive influence on the game. When he's been a starter, he hasn't necessarily been bad. How much of that is fitness? How much of that is getting used to the team? How much of this has been game state, I think, is a good question. But fundamentally, he has not been 
in any of his appearances for me with the first team or with uh, Rapidos. He has not been a passenger. He has been a positive influence on the game. Mark, why is he not getting more playing time? Does this just come down to the timing of the trade and um, the arrival of Felipe Gutierrez? How much of this is maybe, um, you know, what's what's going on here? And do you think that the Rapids would be in a better situation if Ralph Prizzo was starting? Should Ralph be a more highlighted option for the Rapids rather than a Colin Warner off the bench, for example? I mean, my guess is um, it's two things. One, and I think most Rapids managers that I've seen have gone this way, which is they want to watch what players are doing well in practice, in training, before they kind of pick the final 11. So Robin Frazier is probably going with his gut about what he thinks, who who his best 11 are in any given game. The other thing I think it comes down to is the way Robin Frazier has played in the midfield, what he wants to see is a, a, a 5-3-2 or a 3-4-3, depending on how you look at it, in which the midfield three, um, it's not really a 3-4-3 anymore unless you count that that middle player in the 3-4-3 as... Um, actually, yeah, no, I'll take it back. I think it's it's been it's been really more of a 5-3-2. But anyways, the three guys that he wants in the middle consistently for the last two years are really... A, a deep-lying number six, a creative number 10, and a both-ways number eight, right? He does not want, like, two deep-lying sixes. He does not really want a, a twin-pivot, you know, front-attacking creative thing. And to that end, like, I think Max is a little bit too creative for... Uh, sorry, Max. Why am I saying Max? Uh, Ralph Prizzo is a little bit too creative um, to play that eight position. Uh, he's not Mark Anthony K, who was really an ideal eight. And what that means is um, he, he's been a little bit more safe. So like this week, he went with Gutierrez, who could play kind of as an eight, is a little bit more reserved as a six. Uh, he can go with Acosta, who's really a very pure six, although he kind of played like, a, like an eight-ish kind of player. Um, and Rubio, who is the 10. I just, my my gut here is is that possibly he doesn't like the idea of Rubio and Max on the field at the same time because it's too much creation, not enough defense at the same time. Um, and it means that you can run through the midfield. Is that right? Is that a hunch? Um, am I going off half-cocked half on this? Possibly. I mean, I think we haven't seen enough of Ralph Prizzo to really get a very strong sense of who he is as a player. But my my sense is that he's... Um, more offensively inclined, and uh, Robin Frazier is a little bit wary of trying to do that. Matt, does that make any sense to you? Do you have a totally different take on why Ralph Prizzo isn't getting the minutes that we think he might uh, willing, uh, rightfully deserve at this stage of the game? I think your point about the fact that maybe he's a he's a misshapen. Uh, peg going into three clearly defined, um, you know, holes that they have in the middle field. I think he's clearly not a number six. I think you're right. He's somewhere between that eight and that 10. And obviously you're trying to unseat Diego Rubio, who's been absolutely fantastic in that role. And you're trying to fit into a role that obviously Felipe Gutierrez has been really impressive in for me. You know, I've asked Robin multiple times now about what he's done, what Felipe Gutierrez has done 
defensively, and I think that's been a real pleasant surprise to what he's brought in. It's to the point, Mark, I'm not ready to answer uh, this question yet because there's still, what, four games to go in the season, and I'm not prepared to do the autopsy on the team yet, but there's a lot of Rapids fans that are just saying that I've seen on social media pointing out that just based on what Felipe Gutierrez has done, if they can get him for a reasonably small transfer fee, would be okay with him coming back next year and maybe one year with a team option or two, and then, you know, we'll see what that looks like and everything. And so I can understand that Gutierrez has come in and been a proven piece in Major League Soccer that's done the one thing that you were kind of worried about for him playing that role, and he's done it excellently, and for those reasons, he's starting over Ralph Prizo in that role for talking about him fitting into the um, the double pivoty eight role. Um, I think the other thing for me, Mark, is that we've seen this at times with new players coming in where they have to, if they're not already proven within the squad or proven at the team that they are coming from, that it takes a while for them to get proven in terms of with Robin Frazier. We've seen that with some of the other homegrowns. We saw that with Ollie the Rosmark where he came back from the third division German club that he was in the youth program at, I think, and he trained with the team for a full year, and it took that before he officially got signed as a homegrown. And then even after that, like he got a few bench minutes, but then ultimately it was advantageous for him to uh, go out on loan. We saw that with Courtney Ford, who was finally fit, finally healthy, couldn't get really any playing time. And it was go prove to me that you can play at the USL championship. And then if we have room for you on the roster, we'll bring you on next season. Obviously, Court Ford proved himself well enough to go join Sporting Kansas City, not enough for the Rapids to hold on to him from a center back position. So we've seen Robin be slow and steady and prove it to me, but then also let me tinker with it, and then try and mentor you through that process of proving it to me before you actually see the field. Um, And it doesn't surprise me that Ralph Prizzo, who was obviously very well regarded out of the TFC Academy, wasn't going to get onto the first team given what uh, Toronto's done with the Italian invasion and what they're trying to do in the midfield. And so certainly it's taking a little bit of time, but maybe Ralph Prizzo secretly is doing all of the work right now and is making incremental progress and is gradually starting to impress Robin Frazier to the point where by the time we get to exit interviews or the start of next season and Robin and Porik are doing uh, roster build questions and everything, and Robin says, I'm ready for Ralph Prizzo to at worst be my first midfielder off the bench, and he could very well grab the starting spot within a month in the season. Uh, Neither of those outcomes would surprise me and I would be more surprised if none of that happens to where Ralph is like the second or the third midfield option by a third of the way through next season than compared to where he is now which is clearly on the bench and not playing every single game listeners this coming Wednesday at Dick Sporting Goods Park at 8 p.m. the co- local time the Colorado Rapids will be taking on the San Jose Earthquakes and then on Saturday at 8 30 p.m. it will once again be the Greg Vanny Robin Frazier Darby at the Diggity in Carson, California. Colorado Rapids, 10th in the Western Conference, 36 points off of 30 games played, 7 points, question mark. Let me double check that. 7 points below the red line in the Western Conference. They have a record of 9 wins, 12 losses, and 9 draws. A goal difference of minus 10. San Jose Earthquakes, 14th in the Western Conference. They are all but mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. Last in the Western Conference, 30 points off of 29 games played. 7, 13, and 9 is their record. A goal difference of negative 17. And away from the Bay Area this season, they are 1-10-3. Ouch, LA Galaxy currently 8th in the Western Conference, 3 points below 7th place RSL. 
uh, 40 points off of 29 games played. They have a game in hand on the Rapids. They have a record of 11, 11, and 7, and a goal difference of plus 4. And at home this season, they are 7, 5, and 3. Mark, let's start with the San Jose Earthquakes, who, as I mentioned earlier, lost 6-0 to FC Cincinnati. They are not playing well. They are very much clearly in. Uh, we're waiting for Lucha Gonzalez to arrive at this point. Some individuals might be impressing, but this team knows that it's over and a bunch of them are and are not going to be here next season and do not want to be there next season. Jeremy Bovesi may be their one big impressive piece up front. He has 15 goals on the season. That is seventh in the golden boot race. Cade Cowell has gradually worked his way into the lineup, Mark. I think clearly the interim head coaching staff is definitely in the player kids. Let's give more game film for Lucci Gonzalez to evaluate players going into next season. Mark, what do we see in the San Jose Earthquakes? And given that goal difference and that road record and what we just said about the Rapids playing bad teams and finding a way to beat them, this has to be a comfortable three points on Wednesday. Yes? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, the the best quote that I saw somewhere on Twitter a couple weeks ago was every San Jose uh, like news report that's gone out for the last several months has gone, Jeremy Abobasi scored two goals as the San Jose Earthquakes lost four to three. You know, it's like that was, that's the summary or like four to one or whatever, you know. Um, Abobasi has 15 goals and has really emerged from being like sometimes cast as a winger in Portland as a true number nine and and really a very talented player who... Um, has always been, you know, I mean, if he played for a better team or um, maybe had emerged as a player a, a year or two earlier, he would literally legitimately be in the conversation for the U.S. men's national team. Um, but he's a little too old and he's a little bit too unidirectional. And I think, honestly, he plays for a team that's a little bit too terrible. Um, Cade Cowell is uh, a young winger who... Uh, three assists, two goals, hasn't really emerged. Um, Jackson Ewell has kind of proven himself to be Will Trap minus two, you know, just like kind of a deep-lying midfielder who can do some things but isn't really going to break open the game. And then after that, the back line is just a hot mess, can't really get a whole lot going on, um, and the rest of the team is a whole bunch of nothing burgers. So this is a team that really struggles uh, mightily in many different ways. I think their biggest Achilles heel is their road record, which is a, an abysmal one win, four draws, 10 losses, um, with a minus 20 goal differential uh, on the road, whereas their home uh, goal differential is uh, plus three. So they, they are really struggling when they go away from Avaya Field, why, I don't know. Um, their motivation, which isn't the world's greatest motivation in any season, is to not get the wooden spoon, right? They are 30 points. DC United is on 27 points. San Jose has a game in hand, though, on DC United. So um, they're in a good position to avoid some uh, really negative hardware that you don't want to get. Um, but, but uh, you know, it's a, it's a team that is... Truly struggling, um, doesn't really have a whole lot to play for, doesn't really have a lot of depth, I think, is one of the other problems. I mean, I saw the other day, I was watching their game, um, I, I tuned it in when they were down 2 nothing, and then they quickly went down 3 nothing, and then 4 nothing, and I was like, oh, I can turn it off now. Um, and at some point late in the game, they made changes, and they brought on Shea Salinas, who I swear to God at this point is 147 years old. And then four other guys that I'd never heard of, including something called a Skahan. Um, Jack Skahan, 24 years old, 
who, if you're 24 years old and I've never heard of you, that's not a great sign. Um, the entire bench, Matt, except for Jan Gregus and um, and Judson from Brazil, are guys I've never heard of. Um, so a lack of depth is a real problem uh, with this team, and that also is really hurting them. Um, and I, I, the last thing I'll say is this. I love Tommy Thompson. He's one of my favorite characters in Major League Soccer. I'm sad he's been stuck with a mediocre to poor team his entire career. Matt, any other thoughts, takes, hot takes, counter sermons on San Jose? Uh, one thing that I will say, Mark, um, I can't remember if um, uh, not Gonzalo Pineda, uh, Matias Almeida had gotten the sack or, you know, had his departure from the club at the time these two teams last played. But um, this is not a, uh, you know, a 1v1 man marking team anymore. They're pretty vanilla ice cream. Uh, 4 2 3 one are, can be comfortable in slow buildup and possession, can also be comfortable in transition, you know, defend with six, attack with four, sometimes five or an overlapping fullback or something like that so um i would expect them being a road team playing midweek at altitude and everything they probably come out mark in a uh in a four two three one on paper that probably com- can compress pretty quickly or at times into a four four one one or even a four five one with the being the one kind of lone striker up top with montero formerly of philadelphia union um you know uh, underneath him um i think this is a team that'll be comfortable without the ball the rapids are going to have to try and break them down and they're going to try and do something in transition not unlike what vancouver i think initially their game plan was against the colorado rapids um I would not expect anything revolutionary from a tactics or a personnel standpoint from San Jose on Wednesday. Maybe a little bit of squad rotation given midweek play and the fact that they lost to Cincinnati. And with how far that travel is, Mark, if you're talking about Saturday and Cincy going back to the Bay Area and then traveling to altitude, I'm not sure what the travel situation is in terms of they're already here or coming to Colorado and they didn't go back to San Jose um, in between. But um, this needs to be three points. This is not a very good team. This is not a team playing well. This is not a team that should particularly scare you. Really, outside of Jeremy Bovisay or a little bit of speed they have on the wing and an Espinosa, a Cade Cow, a Tommy Thompson. The Rapids come out and do exactly what they did against Vancouver. They should win this game by multiple goals. With that, Mark, let's move on to the LA Galaxy, who have been nothing if not exciting, Mark. Uh, they've had three draws in a row. Um, Ricky Pooge has been very interesting. Mark, I should point out, you and Isn't I being— Wait, wait, wait. It's Puig. It's Puig. It's Pooge. It's Pooge? Yes. Really? Why? Because Castilian Spanish and everything. I don't know. This is this is how it is. This is how uh, uh, you no. are. You're way behind, Mark, compared to what Galaxy Twitter had to do with this. Um, Mark, uh, folks, of course, I'm referring to the uh, new signing in midfield for the LA Galaxy, who comes highly recommended from the FC Barcelona Academy, and his last name is spelled P-U-I-G. Baseball fans or Dodger fans like me and Mark will remember that from Yasiel Puig, formerly of the Los Angeles Dodgers, but it's Puig, Mark, in any case. Um, right. He's been a bright spark mark but i think all the talk right now is on penalties and just this team's inconsistency and dropping points from said penalties because chicharito tried a paneka a couple weeks ago and it worked and then he decided that he was that he was going to make that his entire personality and he missed a chance to beat sporting kansas city on the weekend or wait i don't remember what this was a couple weeks it was like two weeks ago yeah and uh so he biffed a panenka and then he had an opportunity on another pk this weekend and 
Uh, he tried to put it in the bottom corner and he got stoned by uh, um, by Willis, the goalkeeper for Nashville. Well, and they had another penalty mark. And there was a huge dust up because a bunch of LA Galaxy players were trying to wrestle the ball away from Chicharito. Reportedly, Greg Vanny was saying on the sideline, yeah, Chicharito, you're not taking it. Victor Vasquez was supposed to take it. And then Pooj ends up taking it. And in a game in which the LA Galaxy were not good enough, did not deserve a point in Nashville, they end up getting a point because they managed to get the ball away from Chicharito, give it to Pooj, and then Pooj ends up converting it and everything. Um, Mark, this is not the vibes Chicharito that we saw earlier in the season or the player that we saw last time these two teams played. This is still a team that has a weakened defense, will give up goals on set pieces, will have individual defensive errors, lead to penalties or very good opportunities for the opponent, opponent opposing star players to score. <clears throat> Uh, against them and everything. Um, and at the same time, this is a team that has managed to, at times, get surprising uh, results that has put them in a position where they're just on the cusp of making the playoffs. And there's like three or four big ifs, one of which is, will Chicharito get back to being Vives tap-in Chicharito? Um, and then they could potentially make the playoffs. Uh, Mark, this game for me could go either way. The Rapids could be the tired, easy layup with a convenient penalty call. Uh, that allows the that makes it super easy for the LA Galaxy to win this game, even though they don't necessarily deserve it. Or the Rapids could grind it out and be extremely difficult, and then the LA Galaxy could simply collapse under the weight of their own expectations. Uh, yeah, I I don't really know where the Rapids are at these days as a team, um, in terms of being able to take on a top team like this. I also don't know how these Colorado Rapids can handle a Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday swing. You know, that's three games in 10 days. Um, depth is a real problem with this team. It's, it's, there's a lot of midfielders who are okay, right? We, we talked about um, Max and Ralph Prizzo as being options off the bench. Um, Colin Warner might wind up figuring in the midweek game against San Jose. It's a good question, Matt, by the way, as if, uh, we see the Rapids rest some regulars in the midweek clash before they go on to LA Galaxy and maybe start their regulars. Um, Jack Price is healthy again, so maybe we see him start one of these games, but not both of these games. Um, and Jack Price is really, you know, a difference maker. You could tell by the fact that he played in the last game and we won. Um, the Rapids without Jack Price are a very different team. I also think off of corners, the Rapids are a very different team without Jack Price. Um, these LA Galaxy have a lot of weapons, but also have some real duds, you know, some real players that have not shown up this season. I'm sure, Matt, as someone who is way more in to Galaxy Twitter and into the Galaxy world, you're familiar with these issues and these problems much more so than I am. But like, um, you know, what we're talking about here is their big signing in the offseason um, at I think it was DP money, Matt Douglas Costa, which was ultimately probably not a great move for them. Um, Chicharito is a, is a great addition from a marketing perspective, but hasn't necessarily scored as much. He's better this year than he was last year when he admitted to having some real personal problems off the field that clouded his ability to do things. Dejan Jovaselic has been pretty good for them, I think, but uh, on the flip side. Samuel Grancier has been decent. Kevin Cabral has been not decent. Um, you know, this is a team full of guys who should be, who are very expensive and very good, who've been underperforming. 
Um, and then a couple of weird spare parts like Sasha Kleschen and Victor Vasquez kind of like sort of getting it done and whatever. So I don't know. I mean, they're, they've never been very good. The galaxy have been kind of underperforming all throughout the season. Um, but they're in a position where this game matters a lot more to them than it does to the Colorado Rapids. They're only three points back of a playoff spot right now. And like I said in the earlier uh, section, Minnesota's really scuffling right now. Portland's really scuffling right now. They're above them at sixth and fifth, respectively, in the table. So um, there's opportunity. There's blood on the water. The Galaxy may have more motivation. They may just want it more than the Rapids. And um, like I said, you know, even though I was making fun of some of those players who haven't been that good, there is talent on this roster and there is depth. Whereas I think for the Colorado Rapids there hasn't been that much depth. I mean, the Rapids, if the if Colorado thought that Max was a real viable starting option, he would be starting these days. But he is not because he's kind of a, like, he's, he's a good threat in midfield whose finishing is poor. And then when it comes to defending, um, he's a giant nothing burger. So that's where the Rapids are at, man. Uh, I think this game is probably going to be a loss for the Rapids. Um, if they draw against San Jose, it's definitely over once they, um, once they play, uh, LA, if they can't get a win out of that one, um, anytime in the next several games, the Rapids don't win. Um, it's over. Uh, I just don't think they can get up for two games in a row like this. What do you think, Matt? Um, I think sex, I think six points is potentially on the table here. Um, I think it will end up being four points. I think it's worth pointing out that LA Galaxy also have a midweek game, uh, this week. Um, and they play at Vancouver Whitecaps exact same time on, uh, Wednesday, 8 PM. So I think the I think the Galaxy can get and need four points in the playoffs for this one. And I think, uh, I think the Rapids minimum need four points, but really it needs to be six to have any hopes of not being eliminated come you know, the final full-time whistles on after the Sunday games and everything. So I think the Raptors will get four points. Um, uh, last thing that I remember, Marco, we didn't talk about this actually because I think in the end it ended up not being a controversial thing for me, but Whitecaps Twitter was super mad at the penalty that Jonathan Lewis drew against the uh, against uh, Veselinovic, the Serbian center back for the <coughs> Vancouver Whitecaps. I think it's pretty clear to me that if there's a foul there, it is on the defender. Jonathan Lewis rounds him. Um, and then if anything, if there's contact, I think it's 50-50 or Veselinovic trying to impede soccering play. And then at the point where there's contact, where Lewis clearly goes down via that contact, Lewis is in front of the defender, inside, closer towards goal, and the defender is also behind both Jonathan Lewis and the ball. I do think from the angles that I've seen that there's a valid question of whether or not the foul occurs or the final contact ultimately is on the line or inside the box. If I had to guess just based on looking on the replay, I would say that it's just outside. I don't know that it's close enough to be clear and obvious. So kind of similar to the situations that we talked about, you know, a couple weeks ago against Nashville, I think regardless of what VAR was seeing on it or what angles that they had available to them, I think it should have been call on the field stands. Uh, Mark, did you make anything of the um, uh, of that PK call, the controversy around it, or ultimately the very the the very simple procedural and non-answer response I got to my Poodle Porter question on behalf of our good friend J.J. Adams. 
No, I, I, um, I don't remember it very well. I know, I know what you, uh, what you're referring to, but I can't, you know, my, my Achilles heel is recalling a video to my mind without immediately replaying it. So I'll let it stand on, on what you just said. I don't have any, any strong thoughts either way. Okay. Um, and Mark, it turns out that my intro to the podcast has aged very, very poorly as we have full time from the clink in Seattle, Seattle Seahawks 17, Denver Broncos 16, the Broncos missing a potential game winning field goal in the final minute of the game. So, um, Broncos country, Russ tried, I suppose is my response to that. Rabbi, anything else or shall we get out of here? Friends. Uh, Rapids fans, countrymen, lend me your ear. Let me sell you some stuff that we sell at the same time, same place on this podcast. Although I will give you the heads up. There was a good stinger post advertisements at the end of our podcast last week. I can't promise there'll be a stinger here, but there's at least some incentive to stick around for us uh, selling some of our products. Uh, we are sponsored by Acros FC and Roughneck Scarves, the makers of fine custom kits and fine custom neckwear. They also have a good back catalog of stuff that they've already produced that you might want to check in on. Um, lots of old MLS scarves that they've produced in the past. I still think they have the Tim Howard scarf on sale, um, and I don't own one. So maybe, you know, if it starts to get cold now that the fall is coming in and you want to stay warm with something new and different that you don't already have, or maybe your scarf wall is uh, needing expansion. You've got a few more uh, racks to put up. You've got, you want to put up a, a few more um, uh, shower curtains in your living room with a few more scarves. Uh, check them out. Go find some really good colors. You know, go full rainbow. Find a blue scarf because you haven't quite hit that right color yet. Hit them up. They'll take care of you. Matt, tell them how to hit us on the socials, how to contact us, how to read our fine written stuff, including my upcoming deep dive expected goals breakdown position by position player by player of the rapids this year versus last year listeners you can follow us collectively on twitter at rapids 96 podcast at soccer underscore rabbi and at lws matt Pollard. check out all of our written work on the interwebs at pittsburgh soccer now last word on sports.com backslash soccer and at holding the highline.substack.com at our Substack, including where you see uh mark's upcoming xg extravaganza you can view us in web form there you can give us your email address and then get us a newsletter form and it's also where you can become a paid highliner five bucks for the month or 42 dollars for the year send us your questions on twitter using the hashtag AskHDHL, just like rapids foreign legion did or if you've got something in more than 280 characters email us at rapids 96 podcast at gmail.com uh listeners we'll see you next week peace